Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Jaya Vishwanathan, author of Baby Senses, a sensory neuroscience primer for all ages. It's an exciting book about how animals perceive the world through their senses, covering everything from our regular human senses to extraordinary abilities like sensing electrical fields. Jaya writes in a way that kids and curious adults will love, showing us the amazing world of sensory perception. And before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Dr. Jaya Vishwanathan is a neuroscientist and artist born and raised in India. She earned an engineering degree, a master's in neuroscience, and a doctorate in cognitive neuroscience. She then worked as a postdoctoral fellow before joining the Division of Neuroscience at the National Institute on Aging. Her research was focused on understanding how brains interpret the world through vision and audition. She was invited to write a Neuroline article about baby senses as an educational resource and nominated for the Science Educator Award by the Society for Neuroscience. Jaya loves art and is a part of the Tuesday Night Group in D.C. Her neuroscience art has been featured in several art shows, and Jaya has been featured in several podcasts. You can learn more about Dr. Vishwanathan and her work at babysensesbook.com. Well, hi, Jaya. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. It's a real pleasure to be here and to chat with you. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to learn more about you and your book. So Mm -hmm. I, I guess just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? What is Baby Senses about? Yeah, so thank you for that question. So Baby Census is really about the marvelous and creative ways by which animals have evolved throughout the animal kingdom to basically sense their environments. This is an essential function of life. So recognizing important stimuli in your environment and then processing it and then responding appropriately to those stimuli as well as internal signals like if you're not feeling well being able to recognize those and then say oh you know maybe I shouldn't go into work today and things like that so Mm. sensing both our internal and our external environment is basically a basic function of life and there are more than five ways in which we have evolved on earth animals have evolved on earth to sense their environment And from the simplest of animals like ants and earthworms to the most complex of animals like mammals, like humans and narwhals and aquatic mammals, we've all evolved ways to survive based on our environment. So it's really a combination of the sensory systems as well as the utility of those sensory systems and how they help these animals thrive in their environments. Mm -hmm. That's what Baby Census is about. Wow. I love that you created a book that is accessible to both young children and adults. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration behind the creation of your book? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I wanted to do. I think the way we talk about and teach 
teach neuroscience to children is very important because children, in my experience, are easily discouraged or encouraged to follow certain fields in their development. And so I wanted to kind of showcase it in a very appealing and multimodal ways to encourage children to get excited about science. And the same holds true for adults as well. Like I think the way we talk about these Topics, you know, if you relate it back to how it relates to everyday life instead of using jargon and make it visually appealing. And in my book, I've also used rhymes that I recited out loud mm. to make sure they are sing-songy and they're appealing from an auditory perspective. So I really wanted it to be something that children get excited about, that adults are excited to share it with their children, whether they're educators or parents or family. And so, you know, I am really passionate about the fact that, you know, most of science funding comes from the public. And I see it as a civic duty almost to pay (laughs) that back and make that science accessible so people know what are the advances, how does this relate, how is research going to help me or is helping me in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. I think, I know know for me personally, I won't speak for (laughs) everyone, but uh, it can be a little intimidating that the subject, you know, and so I feel like what you've done is, like I mentioned, just made it really accessible, almost like an interactive type of book. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, I, and I think you hit that right on the head. So I didn't want it to seem intimidating. It shouldn't be because I think when even complex concepts, right, when you break them down in a logical manner, they should seem, oh, that's easy enough. Yes, it is a complex thing because evolution happened over millions of years. <laughs> to be able to do things like see our environment and smell specific chemicals that warn us that, you know, there's a gas leak or something. So so definitely it's the whole mechanism is complex. But I believe that, you know, when you explain it, you know, logically in, in terms of like, you know, why would animals like aquatic animals like squids and sharks, they wouldn't be able to see because they live underwater and light doesn't penetrate that far. Mm. So they would need to have a different way to map their environment and get around and find food and find mates or whatever it is. So, you know, it's the necessity that often drives these evolutionary mechanisms over millions of years. And then it gets to the point where it's perfected. And that's what we see now. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to get at that. So when you break things down, they can be quite simple and logical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Your book is just so unique uh, in so many ways. (laughs) And one way that that really struck me when I first saw it is, you know, it's kind of a unique fusion of science and art. And I don't don't feel like Mm -hmm. that's a combination that is often seen, especially in children's books. So right, what, what inspired this innovative approach to discussing the sensory systems? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I will say I actually started with the art. Mm. I'm an artist and I've been doing that in my free time as a way to kind of engage a different way of thinking. For me personally, I think art 
making art um, has been very uh, cathartic and a way to relieve stress. Mm. And so I've been seeing these images in my career for a long time. And I painted a couple for myself to hang up in my apartment. And the end result, you know, I had friends over and colleagues and they were like, oh, my God, these are great. You got to keep making them. Wow. So I had a fair number of the paintings already done when I had the idea to write a book from them. And so I think because of that, I had a fairly good idea of what I wanted the book to look like and be about before I sat down to write it. Hmm. Yeah, I've often wondered that about authors that are illustrators, you know, which came first, the art or the <laughs> or the story. And a lot of illustrators have said the same thing, that they started with the pictures. So it's interesting. Yeah. So you cover a broad spectrum mm-hmm. of sensory systems, the ones that we know, you know, taste, touch, smell, sight, sound. Then you dive deeper into more exotic ones. Mm-hmm. Could you share share a little bit more about the lesser known sensory system? Oh, yeah. And I wanted to add, too, that it's not meant to be a comprehensive list mm. by any means. And I think there's so much research being done. And, you know, I think it's we might discover new ones in the future, in the near future. So it's it's not really meant to be a comprehensive list. But what I tried to do is kind of highlight one example in a particular category of exotic sense, as you put it. And so there's also internal sensory systems that are not much discussed in popular culture. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about more than the five is that there's this kind of popular idea that having a sixth sense is kind of extraordinary. But in fact, even as humans, we have so many more. Even like things like our gut brain access is a way for our brain to sense things about the food we eat. And that's not very well characterized. And people are researching that today and how that changes in disease. So, for example, in something like Alzheimer's disease, there's a huge influence of the gut-brain axis. Mm. And that's not something I cover in my book because I do cover an example of a symbiotic relationship that augments sensory perception. So I covered one example under that category. So I didn't. Uh, you know, again, so just to highlight that it's not a comprehensive list. And so for the exotic ones, uh, some of them are a little bit more popular in culture because, for example, the military has developed technology based on ultrasounds, uh, which is a way of communication and perceiving the world, a world by dogs and dolphins and bats. Mm. And then they've now used it so the in sonar and World War II, like spy detection, basic spy software. <laughs> I'm not a, a military person, so I apologize if that was not the right terminology for that. But so some of them are more popular or widely known, I would say. But there are others that surprised me while I was researching my book. So one of them, for example, is called the Ampullae of Lorenzini. And there are these sensors that certain sharks and rays have, uh, like manta rays, 
and that allows them to sense the electrical fields in mm-hmm. their environment. And because all living things have electrical and magnetic fields, it gives them a huge advantage in tracking prey. And now researchers also think that sharks actually use that sense to navigate underwater because they might be orienting themselves to the Earth's magnetic fields because mm. the Earth has a magnetic field. Wow. Yeah. So so some of them are like really surprising. I think another one that I've heard friends and readers tell me that they really uh, enjoyed learning about is the narwhal's tooth. That's a more recent finding, I think, up until like 2012 or so no one knew what the purpose of the narwhal's tooth is Mm. and uh so some of them don't have it some of them have two that's a more rare uh, genetic complication or genetic presentation where some narwhals actually have two uh teeth Uh, usually males have it and females don't but then some females do have it so it doesn't seem to be like a gender specific thing either yeah and so the the yeah and and so the recent um discovery that that it might actually be a sensory organ and that it helps let them know when there are drastic changes in the water temperature and the ice is going to freeze over on top of them you know and that would make it a really useful knowledge to have for their survival, right? Yeah. Yeah, if the ice is going to freeze up over them and they can't come up for air. And so uh, that was quite interesting and I think revolutionary. So so there are definitely things there that are a little bit more new or not so well understood. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Would you say that would be the most uh, interesting thing you uncovered when researching for your book? Yeah, it's hard for me because I put so much love into it (laughs) and I love every single one of them. And like the penguin, I just, I love penguins. So I wanted to make sure they were in there (laughs) and slots. So, so, so it's really hard for me to pick a favorite, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of things I learned in my research. I also really enjoyed uh, learning that bees which are also featured in my book, are a super organism, you know, and a lot of their behaviors in a lot of insect behaviors in general are very stereotyped, right? So they don't have huge brains. So it's kind of like a reflex. So you don't have to put a lot of thought into it. A happens and then B automatically gets triggered, kind of um, very straightforward behaviors. Mm -hmm. But then in course of researching my book, I found out that when there are regime changes, in the beehive, so like if a queen dies and then her sister takes over the hive, the entire bee colony can actually rebel. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so and that's because they now recognize that they are half as related to the new queen and they don't feel, I guess, obliged to obey her commands. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was reading this and I go, oh, wait, what? So I'm like, you're imagining a little Game of Thrones kind of plot happening in the hive. I exaggerate, of course, but uh, for <laughs> me, it was very entertaining to learn that. Yeah, I, I think research is 
a very interesting part of the whole process, though. I think to me, it's probably the most interesting part, just just learning everything. But then it does make it yep. hard to choose what you're going to include and what to, what not. You know, I get that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned a little bit earlier about the audience and the accessibility. Mm -hmm. I really see this book impacting the younger generation, of course, but particularly girls. And Mm -hmm. how do you see it kind of reinforcing the message that they can achieve anything? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a cause very dear to my heart. And I think a lot of the motivation behind why I structured my book the way I did is for that reason. And I I hope that also just knowing that it's a female author who wrote this book, who's also a scientist. And the fact that, you know, I grew up in India, it's not like I had like an easy access to neuroscience when I was growing up. I didn't. I realized this is what I wanted to study earlier in life. And I worked hard for it. I Mm -hmm. I went to libraries and tried to read encyclopedias to try to understand things about the brain because the access to more nuanced and interesting data was not there, you know. And so I think that's definitely part of what motivated me to create this resource that makes science accessible to girls and also to kids with different neural abilities. So people who are visual learners versus people who are auditory learners and tactile learners. It is my dream to also make like a sing-along version of the book and have it maybe be like a little bit more touch-friendly book someday, but those are future projects. Yeah. I also tried to like include things that would make it very instantly relatable, like using the parent-child bond to discuss, hey, mom, you know, how do we do this? You know, how do we see in the dark? You know, how do we get around without light or without sounds or whatever. So whatever it was for each animal. And so you just look at the picture and pictures worth a thousand words sometimes. And you just instantly relate to it. The other thing I wanted to do was not include humans and try to include kind of the scary or weird animals so that, you know, people read it and think, And realize, not even just think, but like realize that being different is amazing. Being different is a source of strength, you Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, more and more as we move forward in science, people are realizing that in order to solve the big research questions that is facing our, our community today, we need a diversity of ideas. We need different people to come together and work together in diverse teams that are going to use innovative approaches instead of trying the same thing over and over, you Mm -hmm. know, which doesn't always work. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, reading books like this in young childhood, young developmental periods will encourage children to take up these areas of study and run forward with it in an open science, collaborative, team science and data-driven approaches. Yeah. So that's my uh, hope for the research in the future. Yeah, I love that because, you know, little girls, 
their wish when they grow up is not to to be a princess anymore, or, you know, or to grow up and get married yep. and have two kids. It's just I want to be a scientist. I want to be president, you know. And, yep. and so, you know, books like yours is very important. Uh, so kids see themselves in, in that work. So I love that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. So when yeah. is the best time to kind of introduce children to the senses and neuroscience? Yeah. So that's another awesome question. And I would say it's never too early Mm. (laughs) because it is visual. And the way I structured the book is that there's a glossary at the end for the adults to read more. Uh, And again, it's educators, parents, you can read more and then you can decide what level of nuance you want to introduce to your child, Mm -hmm. to your children. And so, for example, one of my friends, uh, who's also a neuroscientist, she has a four-year-old, and she just sits with her daughter and looks at the book, and they look at animals, and sometimes she'll introduce a word or two, and they look at the pictures together. They don't necessarily dive deeper into the science, right? Mm-hmm. But then for I think the reading level of the rhymes and the picture book part of my book is, I think, around like first to third grade. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they can read or they can be read too, and they would follow along. That's the reading level. But again, if their older siblings are interested, they're also able to like read this glossary and still learn something about sensory systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they can grow with the book or the book can grow with them uh, because they can take it, they can read it on different levels just depending on where they're at. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I mean, kids, they know so much more than often we give them credit for. My three-year-old granddaughter, she she was telling me all about dinosaurs I'd never even heard about before. I'm like, you're you're three. Yeah, 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 that's amazing. Yeah. And so up to seven years or so, it's an incredibly plastic period for our brains, uh, where learning is so rapid. And, uh, you know, kids can learn like four or five languages at once sometimes, you know, kids who are growing up in multilingual households. And as adults, you know, that's not always possible. So I think that's a great time to introduce different concepts again not necessarily at like a super complicated level Mm -hmm. but just introduce different concepts and see what grabs their attention and and take it from there yeah so what do you hope readers will take away from baby senses like what is the most important thing Mm -hmm. for you if if there is one thing yeah so i think the most important thing that I would want people to take away is that brains are amazing and the animals that we share our world with are amazing. You know, that every life, like there's often this sense that humans are better than other animals. Mm. But I think one of the things I wanted to highlight is that there are some animals that have evolved to do what humans can do way better than we can. Take, for instance, owls. Owls can hear and localize the source of sounds so much better than humans can. 
you know? And so I think that appreciation of like, you know, our brains have evolved over millions of years to be amazing. And the second thing that I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm not going to go into it in too much detail, is to like appreciate that each of us individually are special. Every second, our brains are doing incredible things. So when people are feeling low, I would hope that if they've read my book, they remember that even in a low moment, you're still amazing. Your brains are still amazing. They're doing incredible calculations about just, you know, sitting in a chair. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your brain is working, you know, even sleeping. Sleeping is one of the most complicated things that happens in our brains. And so I'd hope that people remember that, especially when they're feeling low. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to remember that about sleeping for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go to work now. (laughs) (laughs) So what's next for you? You mentioned kind of maybe expanding on this book a little bit, making it a little more interactive, but do you foresee any additional books in your future? I do. Yeah. So I'm actually very excited. I have some ideas that I've been playing around with. And I just mentioned sleep. Sleep is one of them. So I I would love to have my second project be about uh, behaviors, but again, not like behaviors like going and opening the door kind of behaviors, Mm -hmm. but more like biological or ecological behaviors like hibernation and things like that, that animals do that are quite unique, you know, so I I have some ideas about that. And as I mentioned earlier, I would love to make my current book more accessible. And so the reason I haven't quite started working on my next project yet is because I haven't felt like I've finished exploring all the things I can do with this one. Mm hmm. Yeah, but there's definitely going to be things in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense, too. I mean, it just came out recently, too. So yeah, you're not done with it yet. Now, what kind of feedback have you received so far on your book? Yeah, thank you for that. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I'm an academic. I've spent my entire career in a lab, and I wasn't really sure what people would say about an unknown person, you know, just someone who's working away at the lab, writing something like this. But the Society for Neuroscience, which is the biggest professional society for neuroscientists in the world with over 38,000 members. um, Mm -hmm. So they have been really excited about my book. And they invited me to write an article about how to teach neuroscience for diverse audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the response has been really amazing. And then the response from uh, Reader Views and yourself, I'm incredibly grateful for the encouragement because, yeah, if I didn't receive this kind of encouragement, I don't think there would be plans for a second book. Mm, Wow. Yeah. So along those lines, Mm -hmm. uh, based on your debut journey, what Mm -hmm. kind of advice would you give to aspiring authors? Oh, so much (laughs) I've learned so I say that um, because I have personally learned so much and grown so much during this process like I can tell you I think the biggest thing for me was learning about the publishing industry and the marketing process because I was so new to them you know just you know small things like learning how to make a little 
informational document about my book mm. to send out to people. I, I didn't know I needed to do that. I don't know. It's it's one small things like that. And of course, a big part of it is also like learning to differentiate, unfortunately, the scammers from the people who are really out there like reader views who are helping new authors, like genuine organizations, they can be sometimes hard to spot. So I'm very, very grateful that I stumbled on you guys so early in my journey because I have since also seen a lot of scammers out there, you know? So I think there's a big learning curve. I would always urge people to be cautious. But overall, the journey has been so incredibly amazing. (laughs) I consider myself a lifelong learner. Yeah. And so I've really enjoyed learning the ins and outs of different things. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning so much about, you know, how book marketing works and things like that. A big revelation for me was also thinking about traditional publishing versus self-publishing. I myself ended up going with the self-publishing route mainly because I wanted to have more of a say in what because I made all the illustrations and the cover images, Mm -hmm. I did not want or did not like the idea of selling those rights and have those cover and the illustrations be modified. And so for me, self-publishing seemed like the right fit. But I, I would encourage authors to also like, do that kind of research to figure out what's the best fit for them and their project. Yeah. 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 There are pros and cons to both routes. Yeah. But a lot of authors going the self-publishing route cited the same reasons you did just for more Mm -hmm. control over their creative work and their process. And honestly, those going the traditional route have to do a lot of the marketing themselves anyway. You know, yeah. unless you're a big celebrity, you're going to be doing a lot of it yourself, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just read recently, and I can't remember uh, where I read it, but it might have been Writer's Digest. I'll have to look it up. But the recent findings are that self-published authors are actually making more than their traditionally published counterparts uh, because they get more in royalties. You know, they're not sharing with all of the other people down the road in the traditional publishing path. So, yeah, just something to consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Jaya, is there anything else you wanted to add today? I just wanted to say thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so grateful for the chance to share my beliefs and my knowledge with the community of readers. And I hope you all enjoy my book. And again, thank you so much for the amazing review and all the support I've gotten from Reader Reviews, Sherry. Thank you so much. Well, absolutely. It's been a pleasure learning more about you and your work. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining me today for my interview with Dr. Jaya Vishwanathan, author of Baby Senses, a sensory neuroscience primer for all ages. You can learn much more about Jaya and her work by visiting her website, babysensesbook.com. And be sure and check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.